This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. Welcome to the CSM Podcast with David Nickturn. Creativity, spirituality, and making a buck. Blending spiritual and temporal realities, joining heaven and earth. We will be talking with a variety of manifestors, individuals who have, in one way or another, clarified their vision, created an offering, and brought that offering to the marketplace. Let's see what we can learn from them as we each move forward towards solving our own life puzzle. Facing the challenge of living in the spirit, in the body, in the world, in this time. If you're interested in supporting the CSM podcast, please visit eherenownetwork.com forward slash David. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the second episode of my new podcast, Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck, based on the notions expressed in my new book of the same name, which will be officially released October 8th by Wisdom Publications. My guest today is my good friend Jamie Lee Curtis, Jamie is married to my oldest friend, Christopher Guest. My mother introduced Chris's parents to each other, and we were born two weeks apart in February 1948, and have been friends ever since. We've also made lots of fun music together, ranging from films, TV shows, and record projects, to some great kitchen jams in his acoustically awesome kitchen in L.A. Those jams were the basis of the album we recorded together in our band with C.J. Vanston called The Bayman Brothers. The album is called Memories of Summer as a Child. In that very same kitchen, Jamie has, on many and diverse occasions, turned out some awesome meals, most notably her Caesar salad, which is without equal. Obviously, Jamie is a majorly talented actress with a CV you can research or just remember. She's a bona fide movie star and world-famous celebrity. If you don't know the work she's done in the areas of film and TV, I would have to ask you what planet you've been living on. But she is also a manifester, as we are defining the term in our creativity, spirituality, and making a buck sense. Jamie is diversely and ceaselessly creative. She has written some wonderful children's books, is a photographer, actor, writer, producer, and entrepreneur. She would be my nominee for the most efficient person on the planet and could run a small or large company, the country, or the world, as she mentions in this podcast. She is also a solid Dharma practitioner with a daily practice she describes in our chat in some detail. She has created her own practice structure, but actually it is quite classically composed of authentic Buddhist elements. Among our friendly and familial conversations over the decades, there has also been a thread of Dharma exploration and discovery. In this conversation, we cover the waterfront, discussing creativity from domestic to global, her vision of householder living and personal values, and how she puts it all together with a very obviously developed sense of manifesting at a very high level in terms of inner development and outer accomplishments. This podcast was a real pleasure for me. Jamie is totally unique and really in sync with the notion of living an integrated lifestyle, which is the basis of my book in this podcast. Please sit back and enjoy. So I've always thought of you as a kind of a Zen person. I know. You've always said that. Yeah. I, I pretend to be a Zen person. I think I pretend to be more spiritual than I probably am. And yet, uh, you know, I'm also in recovery for a long time. And this idea of acting as if, I feel like I act as if I'm spiritual. And that one of these days, it'll rub off. 
You know, like if I keep... Well, what's that expression you said yesterday? Fake it till you make it? Fake it till you make it, act as if. I mean, it's all the same thing, which is, how do you change? Yeah. You make some choice to change, and then, you know, you apply yourself differently as you change. And then it, it, it isn't like you're wearing a new outfit. Yeah. Although... I do. My family, <laughs> my daughter jokes me, or I've, we've joked together, that I want to be a Sikh just so I can wear the white clothes mm-hmm. and the white yeah. turban. No, and I know that's probably like maybe horrible to say, but honestly, there's something so beautiful mm. about that choice, which is tomorrow I am never wearing anything but white and... I'm going to keep my hair in a turban. Yeah. Like, you can make that choice. But you've used black almost the same way they use white. In a weird way. Yeah. Yes. Um, I refer to it as shedding skin. That possessions, it's like your wife, and and I joke with her about her her seeming difficulty with uh, packing. <laughs> and I okay. actually live yeah. my life as if I'm packing for a week somewhere, and that, as far as I'm concerned, whatever doesn't fit in that suitcase that I've chosen that I love right. should exist. be gone. Yeah, should be gone. Like should give be it gone. to somebody else. Should or... just be gone and and yeah. let somebody else enjoy because this we have too much. Yeah. So, you know, one of the premises of the book is defining success on your own terms as opposed to an externally um, driven, calibrated. Um, That's difficult. Sense. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's much more difficult to say that to somebody who's had a lot of success, both critical success, financial success, um, global um, recognizability success. Mm. Um, uh, it's a lot harder to talk to somebody who's had that kind of success versus somebody who has been an actor their whole life but have done survival jobs mm. to take care of their family. And how, do you know, it's like it's, like it's easy for me to talk about success because I've had it. It's a lot. Well, the premise of the book, though, is it incorporates um, not just temporal success, but spiritual success and also creative success. So those three are the threads that I'm trying to bring together: is creativity, spirituality, and prosperity. Okay. So if you if you were going to go down that list, and the premise also is that everybody has strong suits and weaker suits in within those three, and that the integration sometimes means. In strengthening one area or, or, you know, easing back on another area. Okay, well, you're somebody who has spent their life um, in a spiritual practice and path. Adult life. Adult life. Yeah. Okay. Adult life. Yeah. From what age? Starting about two years ago. <laughs> okay. But... No, I mean, really since um, about 20. Okay. 22. So, and you're 70. Yes. So for 50 years, you have been following a, a, a spiritual... A specific path. Teaching, path, yeah. way of life, manner of living. That's true. And yet, your three threads yeah. is something I distilled years ago into what I referred to as my top three and my bottom three. Oh, great. Because I believe we all have a top three and a bottom three. And I think you should play your aces. Like, <laughs> so my example for that is yeah. in being, what are my top three? I am filled with energy. Mm. Filled with it. Since day one? Since day one. I am incredibly friendly and loving to all people. Wow. And I am wildly organized. <laughs> Which is an interesting choice of words to put together. <laughs> My top three. Yeah. Energy, kindness, 
an organization. Okay. Okay. Can we call organization precision? Sure. Yeah. Okay. And by the way, I don't throw the pejorative on it. No. You know, the pejorative is you're anal retentive, yeah. you're obsessive compulsive. Sure. You know what I say? Right. I'm thorough. Okay. I'm thorough. Sure. And I usually use a religious leader and I say, imagine the Dalai Lama. Right. Imagine walking into his home. Do you imagine it's filled with detritus and dirty things on the floor and old like no I'm assuming he has robes that he wears and books that he reads and not a lot else yeah his closet looks a lot like yours except it's red and yours is black right so (laughs) that to me is always the it's like you're not going Mm -hmm. that is a person who has spent then their life thinking and and being sure in a way Mm -hmm. so I think the top three, yeah, and then there's bottom three. Uh-huh. So the bottom three are those parts of yourself that you and and by the way, I'm talking about the first thing, which was my physical being and my, you know. But then there's my literal physical being. Like, what are my top three? Bottom three. My ankles. Bottom three. Bottom three. Calves. Bottom three. Really below my knee. Yeah. Bottom. Wow. Top. Yeah. Um, long neck. Right. Um, nice shape uh-huh. and very soft skin. Uh-huh. So for me, That's at a highlight level. those. Mm-hmm. Yes, no, I'm saying at a high, mm-hmm. but I'm breaking it down top yeah. three, bottom three physical, spiritual, living. And that way, in a weird way, I, that's how I, someone who does, has not followed a spiritual path her whole life, but I've been successful, that's how I've compartmentalized everything. Highlight your top three and kind of put the bottom three in the shade. But now you do have a meditation practice these days, right? I do. I have been sober for, as you know, um, coming up 20 years, should that be uh, what happens Great. next year, yeah. February. In your 60th year. In my 60th year, I will have been sober 20 years. No drugs, no alcohol. As they say in... Uh, recovering nothing from the neck up. Um, what does that mean? It, nothing that affects you from the neck up. Uh-huh. Drugs, alcohol. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, I, my spiritual practice, again, was a bit of a wearing somebody else's clothes and trying to walk around in it. And I sort of developed mannerisms. Like I, <laughs> I sort of... I don't know what this is, mm-hmm. but when I see people, I do this. Like, yeah. what is that? Yeah. It's you're, some cultural appropriation. You're in Anjali and hunching over like a pseudo-Tibetan right at the moment. I am? That's what you were just Okay, like. pseudo, though. Well, because you're not Tibetan. Right. Well, what I'm saying is yeah. I recognize that there needs to be some gesture of... Some form. Some form of acknowledgement yeah. and appreciation. Great. Okay? Yeah. But I don't really know what it is. It's not built into a, a religious methodology. It is built into some appropriation on my part of seeing people so that... Or I've done this. Yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> taking my hands yeah. in... Anjali. Anjali. Right. And putting it to my forehead. Yeah. What is that? That's the beginning of a prostration, actually. Right. Yeah. But I'm not prostrating. Yeah. But I'm acknowledging something. Yeah. Don't really know what it is. Yeah. And yet it makes me feel good. Uh So I've done this to people. I've done this. Yeah. I don't do the sign of the (laughs) The cross. Okay. So there is some appropriation of of gesture, of some acknowledgement of something. But then I also really just sort of dabbled in it all. And I didn't really do... But you do have a sitting practice, don't you? But my sitting practice began when something really shitty happened. Uh When something was terrifying that occurred. And it scared me. And it 
rocked me and it unsettled me to such a state that all of my good juju in the world, my top threeing my way through the world, my gesticulating <laughs> to people, it didn't Cover. help me yeah, didn't do it. in that moment. Wow. And then and, you started to actually... And so I have actually yeah. been a, a regular practicing meditator for three, I'd have to look up the date, but it's three years now. And that is a daily practice that involves readings from certain books, a couple of recovery books, a book of the Dalai Lama's daily, like, nugget. Uh-huh. Daily nuggets, <laughs> sure. Um, a, a couple other day-at-a-time books, a book by a poet named Mark Napo. Um, Mark Nepo wrote a book called The uh, Book of Awakening, uh-huh. which is, uh, uh, again, his, he's a poet, but he's also a, uh, um, someone who survived cancer, and he has distilled his daily practice into something that I have found very resonant to me. Can you uh, quote one of those nuggets? Did they come to mind at all? Um... Or even the sense of it? Yeah. Uh, He tells this story of the monkey reaching into the jar and that if if the thing you're holding on to and it makes a fist, you can't get your hand out. You have to let go of the very thing to get your hand out. That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, It's, you know, of the 365 pages, it is one of those stories that always... It, I, I know I have it starred many times. So the letting go. The, the, his writing about the process of letting go, which is detachment, which is why I asked you my, because, oh, right. so in my, in my daily meditation, I do readings mm-hmm. and then I do the meta prayer. Okay. Which I have condensed into four things. Can you say what that is for people who don't yes, know? Yes, the meta. Well, the official meta prayer you'll have to look up. Okay. I have. Actually, dis- it's in the books. So. Okay, I have distilled it mm-hmm. into four things because I could never remember them, and I had to make them all S words. Okay. So my meta prayer that I do every day is: May I be safe. Yeah. May I be satisfied, not happy. Right. Okay. Right. May I be safe. May I be satisfied. May I be strong, which is healthy. Right. Sure. Okay. Not ill, not, you know, under the influence Mm -hmm. of something Mm -hmm. physically wrong. And may I be steady. Okay. And steady is at ease, Mm -hmm. at peace with the world, at in some sort of... And you say that prayer? I say that prayer inside my head. Repeating it or just one Um, I say it about myself. Right. Okay. Then I say it about my loved ones. Right. And I go to each loved one. Right. And I say it. Then I say it about my um, family. Right. My close family. Then I say it about people who are struggling with health issues. And unfortunately, uh, at our age, we now have a, a, a few. Yeah. And so I, I say the metta prayer for people who are struggling, and I name them. Mm-hmm. I say the metta prayer in, in the various illnesses. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, um, and then I say it for my friends and family. Uh, and then I say it for people I'm in conflict with. Okay, so you're doing a classic version of it, really. And then... And so I basically go through my life right. every day. Right. And then I end with these words that you have given me mm-hmm. over the course of... 20, 30 years. Right. Probably, yeah. Which, in a weird way, you, it's sort of like when you leave my house today, there'll be a word on the bed, <laughs> on a piece of paper. A, you know, you kind of give them to me not in any, with any um, form, right. but 
you will suggest a word to me. And the words are Prajna, mm. Karuna, right, which you named your doggy, which I named my little dog Rooney after. Could not be sweeter, right? Who is, well, the nature of rescuing animals right. is Karuna, right. compassion for beings. Yeah. So Prajna, Karuna, Upaya, yeah. Sheila, yep. Shanti, Mm-hmm. Shunyata. <laughs> okay. And last but not least, the Gyra. <laughs> <laughs> which we had confused with which, Viagra. Right? Which we've had confused <laughs> because the pronunciation, yeah. A, it's not a word you said you use very often. Yeah, no. And yet it is a word in Sanskrit. Good one. Uh, about detachment. Mm-hmm. And so then I sit with those words mm-hmm. and I say each one mm. in my head. And then I, and then I say, "Your will, not mine," uh-huh. which was my way of turning over right. my right. life, my day, my being to something bigger yeah. than me. Yep. Whatever it is, and then I sit there. And you do some just sitting. And then I do, and then I sit. Mindful of my breath. Yeah. Trying not to be in my head, trying to mm-hmm. acknowledge a thought if it comes as a thought and let it go and try. Right. Um, and I have a little meditation timer yeah. and I give myself 20 or 30 minutes a day. And I've been doing that now for coming up maybe four years in January. Four years, January 20th. Well, that's a real rock solid. It's a way to start practice. my day. Perfect. You know, I do it usually in the dark um, mm-hmm. of, you know, I get up very early, as right. you know. Yes. Yeah. Um, and you go to bed very early. I go to bed very early. I find it's harder for me to do it at the end of the day because I'm tired and I will fall asleep. Uh-huh. If I get into that sort mm-hmm. of a state, yeah. I will actually fall asleep. Yeah. <laughs> so I find that the it's sort of... Morning's the best. Morning is the best. The day is fresh. Yeah. And there, I mean, obviously I have missed a day or two here and there, but I have, I have done, I have committed to the feeling of absolute fear and uncontrollableness that I reached January 20th, 2014. Yeah. And I... Uh, I have since then found that this has helped me right. stay in what I can actually control, being the best person. We I use can the word be. steady, right? Yeah. yeah. In exchange, I I, right. I compartmentalize them into S words. Sure, which is cool. You know, yeah. um, safe, satisfied, strong, and steady. Wonderful. That's a really solid practice. People yes. out there, that's kind of, we're looking at that as one of the threads of building a kind of really um, found strong foundation for thriving rather than just surviving. Yes. That's sort of one of the threads yeah. in the... Yeah. So then, let's look at the other areas. So you're like, you're, uh, you're I was right. <laughs> you are a Zen person. You are. Well... You're sparse. You, you like things... Sort of less is more. Way less is more. Way less is more. Way less is more. And, you know, a kind of sense of precision and clarity about um, working with your own state of mind. Yes. That's, um... So yes. now, let's look at these other two areas, okay? Yeah, yeah. So creativity is an interesting area. And in the book, just so you know, like when I get it, each area has its own kind of um, principles, guiding principles. So one of the principles of creativity is like forget about what I said. <laughs> Just you know, that's the first one. Anyhow, there are others that are that are more concrete. But you're a very creative person. You do children's books. You I'm you a could, very creative. You could person. run a company. I've said that many times. Could right? You could run world. the United States. I could run the world. Right. <laughs> I could run the world from a practical, yeah, sort of uh, yeah. humanist yeah. way. Yeah, and you're you're um, you know creative with. Object arranging in your house. Yes. You have a visual sensibility. You're an artist. You're an actress. You know. Um, so, could you talk about creativity in the way you would relate to it? If yes. You just tune into that word. What would it mean for you? So the 
best, like, obviously there have been beautiful gifts. People give you gifts and bestow gifts and people give gifts as a way of acknowledging you, your impact on them. They find an object. They say, this object represents how I feel, whatever. And I receive them all. I don't keep them all, by the way. I don't believe that just because you saw that key ring mm-hmm. and said, that reminds me of you, Jamie, yeah. I would receive it. Sure. And if it didn't, if it wasn't going to enhance me, yeah, great. I would move it away. Yeah. You would not know I moved it away. <laughs> the gesture of the gift is right. the gift. Right. And then what I do with it is right. irrelevant. You might find somebody who reminds you of them. Or just, or just get rid of it. I don't have like yeah. an emotional attachment yeah. to it. Mm-hmm. But a friend of mine gave me a book um, called Daily Practice or Daily... I think it's Daily Practices. And it's artists and writers and thinkers and their daily life. Oh, yeah. And I'm obsessed with it. Yeah. Because that that state, yeah. some people are in complete disarray. Mm-hmm. Complete disarray. Would and make some very me, creative people are in total disarray. And some very creative people. Some great composers right. live in tumult. Right, right. But yet create... And they couldn't create in a Zen space. Right. Zen is not for everybody. No. By the way. Yep. Um, so it comes in other flavors. But yes. Yeah. So my cre- I am a creative person yeah. in every area. I'm visual. I'm. I write. Um, I listen to music daily. I gift music almost daily. I'm. I'm not this Spotify girl where. You get it. Like, I love the process of sending you an album. And you do, and you're always finding cool stuff all over the place. I find cool stuff. I listen. I listen to a a radio station here in Los Angeles called KCRW, and I think they have been like musical guides to me. Good curators. Great Mm -hmm. curators. And that, to me, is such a gift Mm -hmm. when someone is a curator, because I can't go out into the world yeah. and hear Afro-Cuban music or a certain piece of classical music. I am not that person. Right. So I like that there is a portal mm-hmm. which delivers that often sure. to me. Um, I have a new, at 60, not yet, um, a new philosophy, which is death is only sad when you realize the creativity that that death has silenced. Hmm. You mean unfulfilled creativity? Anything that stays in someone's brain Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and doesn't come out into Mm -hmm. the form Mm -hmm. which it can then be appreciated or 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 shared or whatever. Right. If it stays in here and you die, it never gets to live. What about the unfinished symphony principle? I don't know what that is. Uh, you know, the idea that you might never finish your symphony. Sure. Yeah. But I'm suggesting that the example I will give you mm-hmm. is I am 60 mm-hmm. coming up. I have raised two children to adulthood. Right. I've been married for a long time to your best friend. I have charity work I've done. I have, you know, acting work and writing work I've done over the years. I've sold, I've done commercials for money uh, for many years. When I came back from making the Halloween movie, it was such a fun experience. The director was young the way he works is fun. It 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 was different. The whole vibe of the place was different. Oh. And I came back and was so excited by it that the one area of my creative life that I have not been successful is taking ideas, some of which are my own, 
and some are me reading a book and going, oh my God, this story's amazing. And then buying the rights to the book mm -hmm. and trying to develop that into a screenplay to then be produced for TV or a movie. I have started that process and gotten many drafts written mm -hmm. and have never completed a project. From soup to nuts. From soup to nuts as mm -hmm. a development, be it an idea of my own. Right. Or be it an adapted idea of buying a book. Yeah. So you mean you haven't done that yet? I have not done that yet. Right. I have been stymied by that process. The process of development it involves so many other people. And the process is very challenging. And it takes a long time. And I'm sure you've seen movies where people win Oscars and they go, I've been working on this movie for 15 years. Mm -hmm. I now understand that. Yeah, wow. The reason I'm telling you the story is, I came back from that movie fucking fired up. Fired up. My mojo was like rising. And I was going to hire a young person that I knew to write something that I have had in my head for a very long time, and your best friend said to me, well, why don't you write it? Mm -hmm. And I said to him, well, I've never written a screenplay. Mm -hmm. And he said, yeah, but you could write it. And I looked at him and said, huh. And I, the part of it that I couldn't do was the formatting, the mm -hmm, web, the mm -hmm. final draft, sure. the process, the technical part. Sure. So I hired somebody yeah. young yeah. to basically take me through that process. And it has been one of the most exciting experiences of my entire life. So this is just in the last couple of months. This is in the last year. Okay. This so is in the last Coming year. along. It was fast right. and furious, and I loved it. Right. So, the reason I'm telling you this is, yeah. I am, that is the tragedy to me of, of death. Would be if I died, mm -hmm. and I hadn't brought that idea. Once I no longer have real ideas for things, and I die, it's sad, you liked me. I made good Caesar salad. <laughs> Very you good miss, Caesar salad. You'll miss me. You yeah. miss the connection, the friendship, the mm -hmm, loving. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's but everybody's going to die, and we're all. That's just the right. process of this. But for me, yeah, death is sad when I think about all of the creativity. Yeah. Now, here, tell me what you think of this story because I tell this story in the book exactly relating to the point that you're on right now. My uncle Irv, mm. who was a great jazz piano player, and you know, played in Tommy Dorsey's band when he was 16 wow. years old, was Nina Simone, Frank Sinatra. He was my wow. main mentor as a musician. He was just the coolest guy. And at, for his 75th birthday, he planned on doing his first ever classical piano recital. He had the, the, the program all printed out. He practiced for five, six hours a day. He was at his peak um, at 74. So, but on the way to that, he got a terminal illness and he uh, died maybe two or three months before he would have played that concert. So how does that fit in? Because I, I, I use it to illustrate a point, which is that, like you said, we can't control those things. And the, uh, the, the letting go, the surrendering, and the full commitment to doing it, to trying, to expressing it, and then knowing that you can't control the outcome always, that you may have to let well, go you of can, that outcome. Yeah, well, you can never control the outcome. Yeah. and So is that a tragedy in your mind, that he didn't get to play that concert, or is that just part of the bigger picture of the thing? Here's what I would say. Did he write the music? No, it's classical. In other words, he's been a jazz player his right. whole life. That's what so I'm saying. So this was like Vivaldi. and yeah. Right. No. No. Okay, I see. No. Uh-huh. Because that music exists. Uh -huh. Would it have been nice to hear him play it? Yes. Yeah. Did he get great pleasure in the practicing six hours a day? I hope so. Yeah. I'm sure someone heard him play it. 
Someone came by one day and he was playing and they heard it and they were like, oh, it's beautiful. It is a piece of classical music. It is music that will live on beyond all of us forever in perpetuity. So, no, I wouldn't say that's a tragedy. I'm sorry he wasn't able to, to... fulfill that dream. It's poignant as hell, it's right? It's poignant. Yeah. And, and yes, but, but there are, you know, a lot of stories. But I used it to illustrate a point that impermanence is a supreme reality. Yeah. You know, and, and a, 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 a uh, you know, the one that will trump all other uh, realities. So that's, you know, that's kind of a big, big buddhist thing there, impermanence. And at the end, you know, the last chapter is... Uh, Impoimenance, 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 which is Groucho Marx. But um, the idea that now, okay, I say now this book is over, you know. And, you know, in Zen they say the cup is already broken. Have you ever heard that phrase? Mm-mm. They look at a cup, they say it's already broken. So the idea is that the the impermanence is embedded in the fabric of, of, of conditioned reality. It's just part of it. And by tuning into that principle more, we have a, a more fluid relationship with things coming and going. So it's a profound, uh, you know, um, something to contemplate. Yes, and yet you have raised a child and you have a grandchild. Yes. And so you're watching yes. the beautiful dance yes. of evolution. Yeah. Well, I also say impermanence includes onset and, and birth. People, don't, people think of, oh, impermanence, you're talking about death. No, no, no. Impermanence means there was no child, now there is one. The absence of the child was impermanent also. So something coming out into mm-hmm. being is also part of that. Mm-hmm. But people don't usually look at it that way. Well, it, it, because we live, we have to live every day and make decisions every day. Yeah. What am I going to wear? What am I going to eat? Yeah. What am I going to do? Yeah. And that's creativity, right? All yeah. of that, right? But creativity, there are people who are not creative people, who would say, I'm not a creative person. I and I challenge that. Yeah, and that you, everybody's creative. I think you creative. do too, right? Yeah, everybody's creative. Yeah. But, um, I have... Every single thing I have done as a creative person has been an accident. Everything. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to be a... I'm not a trained musician. I wasn't, I'm not a trained actor. It was by accident. I fell into it. I I had an opportunity open, and I was like, "Yeah, okay," yeah. but with no plan, no thought, no. Would you, would you call that synchronicity? What would you? What word would you use to describe that kind of bumping into things? That oh man, I mean, it's been my whole life. Yeah, because that's my, a whole other chapter too. It's called tendril in Tibetan, auspicious coincidence. Okay, when, I, well, my aligned, entire life. Yeah, that. Yeah, so your creative juice is very much connected with just going with the flow of the situation. Everything. It's the only thing. Anything that I have planned too much, it's not good. Jamie, you are zen. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I'm going to stick to my original. And I thought that the first time I met you. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, so in other words, it's... it's, uh, You you never set out to be an actress? Not at all. I was going to be a police officer. Really? Mm-hmm. Like a cop? Uh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. You played one in the movies, I right? I did, but I never thought I'd be in the movies. Yeah. The last thing in the world I thought I'd be. Even with parents who were oh, right. actors? Yeah, and... but my parents were actors, but I wasn't pretty the way people are pretty, and I wasn't talented the way people are talented. I didn't. I don't play an instrument. I don't sing. I'm not a great dancer. I can dance a little, mm-hmm. but I'm not known for... You know, I, I didn't have... I wasn't an academic. I wasn't an intellectual. I checked no boxes on the scorecard of life. None. I wasn't an athlete. I wasn't an artist. I wasn't an academic. I was like a C-minus student. I was a chorus dancer in a play in school, but I was never going to be a lead dancer. Like, I wasn't that person. So what happened? I came home from college where the only college where my mother was the most famous person to have graduated from the college, which is why they took me. And what college was that? The University of the Pacific in Stockton, California where they wanted me with my D-plus 
840 combined SAT average. <laughs> That's who they wanted. They wanted Take me. Take careful note, everybody. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, wanted yeah, me. Yeah. And I was, uh, I, I was in corrections. Yeah. I literally was studying to be a cop. I was in drama, you know. I was a, sis, a little sister at a frat. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and did you finish college? No, no, I did four months. Okay, so you came. Oh, so and then you came I home. came home at Christmas, right? And uh, I ran into a f- man I knew who was a tennis teacher in Beverly Hills on a court that my friend's parents owned. Right. And I went and saw her, and I saw him there, and he goes, "Oh, hey, Jamie, uh, you know, I'm managing actresses now, and they're looking for Nancy Drew." Why don't you go up for it? And I said, okay. Uh, and I went up for Nancy Drew at Universal. I went up for an audition. It was it a movie? No, it was a TV show. TV, right. Okay. It was a TV series. Right. They were looking to a girl to play Nancy Drew. And I auditioned for it, did not get it. Clearly, at some point, somebody had said to him, the manager, she was good, but she's not what we're looking for, whatever. Right. And I ended up spending a month in L.A. trying to break into show business as part of my college credit. Right. Because we had one month where you could do an independent study. Oh, okay. January. But at the end of which, I was supposed to go back to college. And when I auditioned for a to be a contract player at Universal, to be a regular actor in a stable of actors... That Universal Studios still had the contract system, mm-hmm. and I auditioned for it. When I went into the audition, I said to the woman Monique James, "By the way, I'm going back to college in two days. So if you if this is going to happen, you need to let me know. Because if not, I'm going back to college." <laughs> and they let me know, and I quit college. Wow! And I became an actor. And what did your folks think about that? They were cool. They were cool. I think uh-huh. they thought it was cool. Uh-huh. But I had no credential. Right. I didn't. I, yeah. I I was like Yeah. Okay. And I've been that person since. Wow. So they I wasn't in plays. Do you pay extra attention when things feel a little bit synchronous? That's one of the premises in the book. Pay just add a little extra layer of attention when you get that feeling that things are lining up or synchronous. I would say it's the opposite for me. When they aren't, I plummet. Like uh-huh. I, I operate in Your energy a, drops down. Uh, gets, yeah. I get depressed. Wow, when, actually, when you're not feeling that. When I'm not feeling, yeah, the flow of it. You know, they call it the bav. In, in the bav. Yeah, b h a v. Maybe that could be one of the words. Yeah, I maybe leave bav. With you. Actually, I'm that'll be leave. my. I think that is the word. I think bav is my word. Yeah, bav is not from the Buddhist tradition particularly. It's sort of more from the Hindu side. But it's a great word, B-H-A-V. It means yeah. sort of the zone, I guess. The zone. Yeah. So when I'm not in the yeah. zone, yeah. I am, um, is when I am most unhappy, when I'm most uh, frightened, when I feel depression, yeah. when, I, when I, I get overcome, I get very emotional. Yeah. But when I'm in the zone. The bob. When I'm in my bob, <laughs> I am, you know... That's, I think this word is going to be a really good one for this year. And, you know, it is the nature sure. of the rest of my life because, yeah. you know, clearly I have um, had great periods of bhav yeah. and um, I have milked them and yeah. worked them and I am a great self-promoter and I am, you know. I think it, it comes from the same root as bhavana, which means becoming. Like there's this sense of becoming, mm-hmm. which means that you're coming into a very open space so that something fresh can 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 line yeah. up and it doesn't and I, feel like a stale cyclical, you know, like just so oh, I'm just repeating over and over again. Yeah, I have spent a lot of time trying to break from calcification. I call it calcification, yeah. which is the minute something becomes calcified right. is when I get constricted yeah. and I start feeling I am not in touch with the bob. Yeah. I'm feeling calcified. Yeah. And I think that happens in families a lot. Yeah. It certainly happened in my family of origin a lot. And there's an E. L. Doctorow quote um about 
this, which says, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it in front of me. When things go unexamined for a long enough time, certain things happen. They become very, very powerful. Mm -hmm. They create conformity. They intimidate. Mm -hmm. So for me, the unexamined um, dance is the calcification. It becomes, it's when you can't challenge something when it becomes just the way that that is yeah. and you don't have any voice, yeah. that's the first layer of that calcification. And then it's, the mm-hmm. more it gets... Um, uh, ingrained. Ingrained. Habituated. What happens is then, what does it do? It creates conformity and it intimidates. It mm-hmm. It restricts. Yeah. And then you have to break it so you're describing what you know Buddhists would call samsara, cyclic existence. Yeah. The six realms, you know, are just over and over again. You feel like you're in a familiar setting. The yeah. rules are clear. The yeah. atmosphere is clear. People yeah. are repeating activities and behaviors in a familiar way. So that's interesting. It, it, yeah. it helped me understand my childhood mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and why I didn't have a voice for a very long time, why I was sort of voiceless. And it's taken me, you know, a long, long time to get to feeling where I have some sense of what I think and what I really believe in. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, 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 it has allowed them the freedom, the bhav, the flow. Mm-hmm. You know, I refer to it, I write books for children and I write them out of 95% of them have been written in a flow. I didn't think I was going to write a book. And then my son came home one from school one day and said, is there really a human race? <laughs> and he had tears in his eyes. He was so angry that somehow I hadn't mentioned in all these five years with him, I hadn't mentioned that he had a number on his back, that everything he did was in comparison to somebody else, and that everything was a competition. How old was Tom when he's five? Five, six, five years old. He's six. Wow. Because somebody said something sh- stupid to him yeah. about the human race. You know, being you, sh- you're, you shouldn't even be in the human race, uh-huh. and he took it literally wow. as if there was a race. And I went into the house and wrote a book the best book I will ever write called Is There Really a Human Race? Now, that book came out in Toto. One flow, Uh about 10 minutes. Now, I interviewed LL Cool J, who I did a movie with once. And for Interview Magazine, I interviewed him. And I said to him, okay, this whole freestyling thing, I think, you know, 8 Mile had come out and all of a sudden we saw Eminem rapping, mm-hmm. freestyling. And I said to LL Cool J, really? LL Cool J? You can just rap about anything? Anytime? He said, yeah. I was like, really? What about those mashed potatoes? <laughs> and he did. No problem, right? Like that. Yeah, yeah. He put out a flow mm-hmm. about this mashed potato. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I refer to it not as a bob but as a flow. Yeah. So, like that's what I do. Yeah, yeah. So then there's uh, one more thread, you know, which is you're incredibly competent, as we said earlier. Like you could run the world. I yes. think is what you said. So a third thread in the book is, um, um, it's called making a buck, but it's playful. It means your relationship to livelihood, to business principles, to understanding that. Because a lot of the people who who um, might be looking at this book maybe have some creative aspiration, uh, maybe they're spiritual practitioners or whatever, but they're having a hard time putting that together, that third piece together. Or they're trying to take their creative flow and put it into right, a livelihood can't, piece. But you can't 
okay, well, that's interesting. So I think Chris has a similar feeling about it as, as you do. And you just have to do what you do. Right? You have to do what you do. Okay. And um, to try to put your creativity into the path uh-huh. of something happening mm-hmm. is a... Is a so if you're a songwriter, right. you have to put your song in the path of somebody. Right. But you can't make someone listen. Yeah. You can't make someone love it. Yeah. It is part of the reason why I've had I've struggled with development. Mm-hmm. Because I can't make someone feel about something the way I feel about it. Sure. It's been great made me crazy. Yeah. But what about okay, now let's say they did like it. Now you need to publish that. Now you need to understand that you don't want to give away 100% of your publishing just because somebody who's established comes along and says, oh, I'll do the publishing for you, and they take half of your money. What about the part where you register with ASCAP so you can collect the royalties on your songs? You know, knowing about those kind of basic things. Didn't you have to learn about all that kind of stuff? No, you know, that was probably... Negotiating a contract. Okay, but that was probably the one byproduct of being the daughter of famous people that I had a better chance at than someone whose parents were doctors right. and and you know parent who owned a hardware store and meaning you had some training I in the had business some of... understanding right. of it. My father once said to me anything that you do you sign away in perpetuity in every contract that exists in right. creative endeavors. Right. The word in <laughs> perpetuity, which means forever. Yeah. So he said to me long, long time ago, be very aware of what it is you are doing. Yeah, there you go. So, that's a gift. But that's, that, a, that's training. That's a principle. That's something you learn. Right, but he learned it from... Painfully, right? Painfully. Right. And then he passed that on as right. a lesson. Yeah. I, You know, there are some pieces of literature which have been written by people in every creative medium. The, you know, the movie business 101... Um, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Like yeah. there are William Goldman adventures in the screen trade. Okay. Like there have been people who have taken like you, Nuji, could write a book for creative musicians and songwriters from your experiences. Well, that's one thread in this book. Yeah. yeah, it's not. There's other threats that we've been talking about. Yes, but one of them is like um, learn the tools of your trade. Yes, and and um, another is to not. Um, if you are going to take your creative output and say that's how I'm going to pay my rent, you need some. You need some uh, understand some basic things. That may not be how you're going to pay your rent uh, unless you do certain things about it. Right. For example, you have to present your material to people. So you're writing your screenplay. At some point, you're going to have to take it and present it to who? Oh, I already have, but and I'm now doing a dish. You know. Yeah. I'm I'm working on it, right. as they say. So let's say they then come back to you and they say, "Okay, Jamie, we like this idea, but we have some ideas for you." Right. Well, I've had that too. Yeah. Um, the luxury I have is that I do not need it. I had such a good time doing it. Yeah. But it 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 has nothing hanging on it. My advice to people yeah. is live like a monk. <laughs> and I mean own nothing. <laughs> live in one room, own three pieces of clothing, you know, like don't live above your mean. Yeah. Save every cent you make as a creative person until you that you know you open the door and it's all just falling in. Wow. Then you can get a two room apartment. <laughs> but I am. I will tell you this story. I did a TV series, and 
it had five actors. Mm-hmm. And the first year, I drove a Volvo. One of the guys had a Mitsubishi. Another person had a beater, you know, da, da. And when we got our first full season, I had a Mercedes. My co-star had a Jag. Somebody else had a Lexus and all the way. That show, for most people, was the biggest success they will have ever had. And it was so amazing to see how quickly everybody spent the money. And you see, I am the person... I I still have the first dollar I ever made. Uh I still haven't spent it. Like, I'm that person. I'm the person who, the other day... Needed to get a knife sharpened. And I said, oh, I wish I knew how to sharpen a knife on Mm -hmm. a stone. Mm -hmm. I said, you know what I would do? I'd get a van and I'd set up a mobile knife sharpening business and I would drive all around my neighborhood. (laughs) We'd have business cards made, knife sharpening in your home. Like I will, like you don't have to bring it to a place. Mobile knife sharpening. Like... I'm that person. Yeah. I need a kid. What quality are you describing? Um, Frugality? It's a com... No, no, no. It's not frugality. It's a... a, a, a Taking advantage of... It's creativity. It's really creativity. Mm -hmm. It's really creativity. Yeah. So, like, for example, you... I mean, one of the things that we talk about is... um, making sure that your tools are sharpened, speaking about sharp knives. So your story was very interesting. You had this um, intention to write this screenplay, but you realized one of my tools is not sharp, which is I don't know the formatting. Yeah, yeah. And and another thing is, so okay, bring in the right, know yeah. how to get the right help in. Yeah. So that might have removed your, in Ganesh style of removing the obstacles. You know Ganesh, right? Removes yeah, the yeah, obstacles, yeah. right? So that may have like cleared the path for you to actually, um, you know, complete that project. Yes. Right? I, I would it. never have started it. That's another thing. Uh, there's no way I would have started it because I wouldn't have known how. But you found you could pull in... Uh, well, I could pull in expertise and pay for it yeah. because I am not somebody who's going to read the manual. Right. I'm not a manual reader. Sure. Yeah. You guys do. Yeah. My I, husband, don't read, I don't read manuals. My husband loves them. No, I, I can't read them. I literally turn on the car. Like, <laughs> I, like turn on the computer. I'm more, okay, I'm more like you than him yeah. in that way. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the idea of um, <clears throat> self-assessing your tools for what you're trying to do, and then tooling it, up. It goes back to your strong suits. Yeah. Your top three, bottom three. Mm-hmm. Like if it's a bottom three, you got to get. What were the bottom three again? Well, it depends. Um, my bottom three, from a practical. So if my energy is really strong, uh-huh. my organizational skills are exceptional. Um, um, my enthusiasm, my kindness is pretty yeah. up there. And I just have to say one thing about your organization. I have said to many people, if you want your entire house or organized and orchestrated... Call Jamie. Call Jamie, she'll do it. In- right, but you have to understand, there's, need a whole but day there's now yeah. a whole business. Sure. There are now people, professional organizers, that Marie Kondo, who I've written yeah. about and yeah. interviewed, right. because I did it before her. Yeah. yeah. No, you, I just do it with humor. Right. Well, and you don't do it to make a living. But I could. Yeah, you, oh, I totally could have. Yeah. That totally could have. So what are the three bottoms then? Um, I don't have great follow through. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. I get a lot of right. head of steam. Okay. And and I and I it was also as a parent. Like I am like super creative, yeah. but the follow through, okay. the the keeping yeah. It, like, going sure. back, going back. Yeah. I'm like, if it doesn't work right away, I'm gone. Uh-huh. So that would be a bottom three. Um, so is that patience? Thing? Yeah, I was going to say patience yeah. is is um, something that, Shanti, that I need a little. Uh, That's Shanti, yeah. You know, I yeah. need a little help. Yeah. Um, because Shanti is peace. I understand, yeah. but it, for me it's But you're patience. talking about patience, okay. It's right. like peace, but yeah. it's. Give me some patience yeah. here. Um, uh, I I actually 
I can isolate. Uh, I can actually remove. Okay. I can also, in modern parlance, I can ghost. Oh, Do you know that term? I've heard Somebody it, yeah. ghosts yeah. you. Yeah, they disappear. They disappear. Okay. I can do. I can ghost, right. which is not a good quality. Okay. I can disappear. Sort of the opposite of the compassion yes. quality, right? Yes, it's the it's it's actually the cruelty mm-hmm. aspect of that. Um, um, bottom three would be lack of follow through, ghosting, and um, judgment. Mm-hmm. And I work on judgment mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah, like rushing to judgment. Having it, yeah. having I'm not rushing to judge. Having acute judgment mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. snap judgment, mm-hmm. judging a book by its cover, yeah, rather than the contents. Yeah, well, so this kind of self-assessment is something I really accentuate in, in the process. Of, I mean, you know, you know this, but a lot of people think meditation is a way to just calm down and sort of feel um, peaceful, but. Um, that's not the way we talk about it. We talk about it as a kind of um, process of discovery. You just stabilize so that you can look more carefully at what's happening. So many, many people, I'm surprised, still don't understand that aspect of the meditative tradition, that there's a contemplative aspect and a kind of self-learning aspect um, that you're just creating space for. So you, you're very clear what you're working with. That's, that's um, yeah. yeah, you've done a lot of I, I think people, analysis. Um, I think as people understand how little control they really have in the world, when the world feels out of control, when governments, when political mm-hmm. turmoil makes people... We watched John Oliver the other day, and he, he articulated exactly what many people feel like is, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, no kidding. Just that, yeah. where you're, you're holding your head as if in... it's going to explode. Like, right. Your head's going to explode. I think people have sought unplugging, mindful apps, meditation apps, calming, as a way to... Yeah. Uh, Yeah, to to, um, lower the volume a little bit. And that's true. So, you know, when we're talking about, you know, mindfulness meditation, that's one first piece of it is just centering and focusing so that mind stabilizes and calms down a little. Then the second piece is awareness. Right. So those two are always, you know, the awareness is, I call it the B-side. It's right. It's coming soon to a neighborhood near you. Right. And <laughs> and by the way, the B-side is a really good way of looking at it. Because yeah. you're right. Because there's yeah. the A-side, right. which is the... Yeah. 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 Very wonderful. So nice to talk to you about yeah, all this. Yeah, far out. Really. And um, if you have any last thing you want to send to the folks out there in terms of no, what I really, you know, uh, what I would say is that it's a it's a process, mm-hmm. and I I would say I have had self flagellation for not being where I thought other people were, mm-hmm. and that it made me feel less than. Yeah. And if I've tried to spend my life doing anything as a public person. It is to demystify something so that it becomes immediately relatable and therefore the person hearing me, rather than feeling like I have attained something that they will never have a chance at, what they will hear from me is that I am just like them. Mm -hmm. That that relatability is crucial to me Mm -hmm. in everything I do, be it recovery, be it talking about movies or going around the world talking about movies or uh, in conversation with anybody about anything. I try to take the very feelings that used to make me feel less than, which is I'm not as smart as you, I'm not as creative as you, I'm not enough, and that I try to let people know I am just like you, and I've had great fortune, and I can't really explain why. And it's a process. And it's all a process. And we're in this together mm. rather than apart. And the being in it together, the linking up with people, 
the walking a mile in my shoes to give you a sense of what my life is. I'll walk a mile in yours. Relatable, relating to others is my sort of goal. Bob. 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 <laughs> you bobbed me, mister. Jamie, thank you so thank much. Thank you, David. Really Always a pleasure. It. My husband's hungry. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeHereNowToday to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BeHereNow.